Welcome to Humanly, the podcast searching for the truth about health and wellness. Here's your host, Daniel Reuters. Hi everyone, welcome to Humanly and it's Daniel Reuters here. Tonight I'm joined by Dr. Saeed Qureshi and Dr. Qureshi, I originally saw you on a podcast back in 2020, I think, um, with Dr. Andrew Kaufman. And since watching that video or that web uh that uh, podcast that you're on with Dr. Kaufman, I became friends with you on Facebook and have been following some of the work that you've been doing, um, following your blog, and you post up some really thought-provoking information. Um, and yeah, I've been seeing some of the stuff you've been putting up and I've been interested to have a chat with you because I know that you've got some uh, interesting expertise. You've got a PhD in organic chemistry and I think you were saying you worked for Health Canada um, creating drugs, I think, and like laboratory research for like 35 years, I think you mentioned, which is quite a, a significant period of time. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with you and hearing your perspectives on a couple of things. So thank you for joining me. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, I appreciate it for giving me the time for, for you and for your listeners uh, uh, to provide my views on the subject. So basically is that it would be uh, helpful if I describe myself or my expertise a little bit so that how I got connected with this COVID uh, issue. And this is what we are going to talk, at least I'm going to talk about, particularly the recent SARS-CoV-2 virus. So uh, I am actually um, by training is a chemist and from my perspective, that's the good thing because the whole subject of this testing virus, I think can be explained very well from the chemistry background. Um, uh, but the general per- perception is that it is a medical subject uh, and only dealt with the hospital or physician, but in my view, uh, no, this is not accurate. Uh, this is the medical profession Physicians are actually the user of the science of testing and isolation. And and this is what I like to explain it in my presentation. And that is the chemistry part. So I start with my uh, basic training uh, in chemistry with a degree in BSc and MSc with some research in there. And then I moved to Europe. And that's where I did my PhD in organic analytical chemistry, basically with a specialization of isolating or separating technique commonly known as chromatography. And it's very well known. So, and I am, I work with a sort of a pioneer of this technique, Professor Verzele, uh, um, in my late seventies, basically. And so I took, I have my degree in PhD in 1980. So, so you can see from that time, I'm involved in this chemistry aspect of science, separation, identification, the whole bunch of things there, but I will restrict myself to very basic concepts and as related to the vaccine area. And then I moved to Canada. I work in the food area again, where I work in isolating compounds from molds, basically. It was a big project with in a private industry where I was working with Agriculture Canada, uh, they were sponsoring it. 
And then I moved to Health Canada. And basically is that I was in, quote unquote, in a medicine area now, but only with the chemistry background. And I had difficulty in uh, working as a um, research scientist. So to compensate that, I took a lot of number of high uh, graduate, postgraduate courses like physiology, statistics, pharmacology, you name it. And so that gives me uh, a perspective from the medical side. So how chemistry get fit into it? And then as a research scientist and I, it's a, as a bench scientist, I was involved in, you know, the microbial metabolism studies, for example, I was involved with animal studies. Uh, I was involved in human studies, all in Health Canada, applying my chemistry background applied. And you might have heard a lot of buzzword, you know, genetic drugs, you know, um, uh, genetic drugs and pharmacokinetics, pharmacology, bioavailability, bioequivalence, all kind of stuff towards the pharmaceutical area. And basically, if I may say, I used to be considered as a bench top uh, scientist, as an expert sort of uh, subject expert to advise the regulatory area in there, okay? And when we start working with that, and I find a lot, really the science is not there in the pharmaceutical. And that's, yeah, okay. So, I start writing about it. Obviously, as expected, I had a lot of difficulty and my point of view was not that much moved along. But anyway, then we worked on it. So to summarize, I have degrees and experience in chemistry and applied to the medical, pharmaceutical area. I publish on those subjects. And so that makes me quite comfortable in talking about the science aspect in the medicine area, okay? So that is the, my background comes into it. So two years ago, when I heard about COVID, okay, I obviously didn't pay that much attention. Uh, in, in a sense, I paid the attention that I felt there is some sort of, uh, things doesn't make sense. It seems to me it's exaggeration. So become curious, all these lockdown, all this scare and everything. But during that thing, the word came as testing. And the PCR testing, mm. right? When I heard that word, PCR testing or testing in general, I said, well, that's the area I worked all my life. Maybe I should look into that. Mm. what is it, okay? And that's where the can of worm sort of <laughs> opened up <laughs> when I looked into that, how they are testing. Mm. So where is this virus? And basically I should say testing. Mm. So when I looked into it, I said, there's no test for virus here. Right. Nobody's testing for virus why they are saying it. Hmm. So I start explaining it now. That's where my, uh, I came into uh, 
I start writing writing it up about that. For a testing, if the general principle or principle of testing, any testing is, it has to meet at least four criteria. It has to be sensitive enough to detect the st stuff we are looking for. It has to be reproducible, you know, test after test mm -hmm. that we can say we are measuring repeatedly the same thing yep. to the same uh, sensitivity and specificity. It means we should able to see the compound, molecule or stuff, whatever you call it, in the presence of other component. Right. Like if you have, if you are monitoring vitamin D in blood, we make sure it's specific, the test must be specific. Mm. So three things. The fourth thing is, we must have a reference standard for the thing we plan or we are expected to measure. Yes. In this case, is the virus. Yes. That's what we are measuring. So my question right away was, where is the virus? Mm. When I start reading about it, about the testing, and I use the word tech, in our lingo, in our scientific word, we use the word validation. This is basically four steps for validation. And in that validation, one thing is critical is a reference standard. You have to have pure isolated sample in your hand before you start developing a test for identity. So identification and you have the precision and the sensitivity, all these things depend on your isolated sample. If you don't have the isolated standard, all these three things cannot happen hmm. as simple as that. So I start looking for the virus as a reference standard. And that's where I made some people really upset and <laughs> angry. So I started reading about it and I have those discussions uh, on internet as well. And when you say and, you make people upset, are you talking about just the general public or your colleagues or who are you referring to? People mostly on internet. Right. Expert from the medical area, especially. Right. That they were saying um, that... Uh, it has been isolated, it has been sequenced, you know, all these uh, words they use, and you are not in the medical area, so you are not falling, put it very mildly, uprightly. Uh, so I said, I am not saying about, I'm not saying about uh, the, um, medical area here. I am saying, there is a test there mm. and I have spent a lot of time in developing, validating, applying tests. And these are the principles for developing a test. And for that, I have to have a reference standard. And reference standard means I need to have a virus in there somewhere. And I don't see it, okay? And that's where my uh, story basically become a little bit more serious. So when I start reading and talking discussion, I found there is no virus. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and basically is that, so my question was, every, uh, obviously what you mentioned earlier mm, was that 
when you start talking or reading with the presentation, you get more question, then you develop more answer. At that time, I was not even aware that what the virus is actually what they mean by virus. So then eventually, uh, let me now share this uh, screen. So basically, when you say about the virus concept, virus, they define it as a shell. And I put it, I was looking for on internet and I just come up with the idea. This is like an element, you know, mm -hmm. with a shell. And this is your RNA kind of thing. And then these little holes, you can say that something is poking out of it. And that's what they call spike proteins, for example, right. in their terminology. So this is actually the concept they present in literature from the virology or medical side. This is how the virus is. So I am asking, I was asking, okay, where is that? Hmm. But then the question was, no, you will never see that in the pure form. It will always be in the culture because it is not reactive. It is so, it is so small. You can only see it with electron microscope and so on and so forth. So but, you, you can't take, say, a sample from a person, a blood sample or a saliva sample and detect virus in those samples, can you? Yeah, but th that's what they are saying. Yes, they are right. saying that you, you take the blood sample or even the swab sample, the only way you can find the uh, is to culture it. That's right. You're not seeing that's, virus that's, in the, in yeah, the saliva exactly. or the blood. And, yeah, exactly. And uh, this is what uh, 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 this is what I am coming in here and I start reading about that. So from their perspective, now, here is their view of uh, seeing the virus, how they see it, and in my view, not in my view, scientifically, it's an inaccurate view, okay? And this is what I'm going to explain that. So what they mean by isolated virus means if I share this screen, so they take a swab sample, right? This is basically water in here in a petri dish. We call it media. They have all kinds of ingredients, probably you know, and most of the public generally know. And this is fetal bovine serum. Basically, those are two critical <clears throat> components in there and a primer. Primer basically means it's like a seed to start with the start of uh, start the starting point of looking the RNA. Right. So they build up. Okay. So I will explain a little bit more. Uh, and once they've done that, this media becomes something like this. So these particles, which are coming from oh sorry I forgot uh, I, I should have added in there, uh, uh, you know kidney. Um, green mon monkey kidney uh, cells, yes. that should also be there. <clears throat> I, I missed that. I'm sorry about that. It's okay. Once, once you have that in here, then they actually take the sample of this one. Sample of this one. Okay. Uh, so they're, they're taking a Petri dish. They're putting in some growth medium. They're putting yes. in the kidney cells. 
And then they're also adding in what they claim to be the virus from like a, a swab from someone's nose. Yes. Or oral cavity. And they're putting that into a Petri dish, yes. which was the one on the left, the, the pink yeah. one. And yes. then you allow it to culture for a period of time. And that's what we were seeing on the right-hand side in the purple exactly. dish. Right. Exactly. So the, exactly. the purple dish was where the virus had grown. Grown and damaged the kidney cells. Right. That's what they call the cytotoxic effect. So once the petri uh, <clears throat> dish I showed you previously on the right side, after growing of the culture, they take a little sample out of it and they do PCR test on it. Basically, PCR test on mean uh, is, is growing some nucleic acids. And this is what they state, that this is the structure which is in that Petri dish. And right. then on the right side, right, which I showed you. And they take a little sample of the pet, from the Petri dish on the right side and do electron microscope. And in electron microscope, when they see circles like that, they label it virus. Mm. Yes, they do. Am I, make sense? <clears throat> and, they, and they always put the arrows there pointing to the virus. So how do they actually know that that's the virus? <laughs> that's what I was going to do. So basically, uh, a, a portion, they take it and they analyze with the help of computer modeling that this is the RNA. And with e, uh, electron microscope, they see the structure and they see these circles, you know, they see this circle and they say, this is the virus. Hmm. And this RNA comes from these circles. Right. So... If you follow me, if what they are saying is, this is the assumption here. Hmm. Okay, swap sample, petri dish, growing it, and then taking two steps. One structure, computer modeling, and the second is electron microscope. Hmm. Even if they are there, what they are saying, there's no evidence that this thing is producing this thing or vice versa. Okay. And, and why is there no evidence that that protein is produced by that virus? There's no evidence. They, 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 uh, this is their assumption. Yes. There's no evidence because they've assumed that's the case. Hmm. So now let me explain a little slightly different way. This is exactly like when people produce wine or beer in home or in even in commercial scales. Mm. So basically is you take the media, you put the yeast in there, you put the grapes in there, everything, and then you ferment it. At the end of fermentation, you have another, you know, culture basically after that. Then you stop it. So so basically what they are saying PCR here is exactly like fermentation. But we do not know that the fermentation really has produced the liquor, means alcohol. Hmm. For that, you have to have a test. 
So the PCR is actually the fermentation step. It's not a test. Right. Okay. I see what you're saying. Understand what I mean? Yeah, it's a good analogy. The testing is separate. So right. basically, if you are doing a fermentation, you will actually need a test at the end of the day to find if that really fermented the way you think. And a common test is you measure the alcohol in there. Yep. And this is what we need here. We need a test to measure if the virus is really there. Yes. And nobody's doing that. And, and to so, do that test reliably, you must have, as you said, the fourth rule was to have the, the agent that you're looking for to validate that. Yes. So you need to have that individual particle by itself in order to do the test. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and the thing is, and the thing is that in case of analogy of um, liquor, alcohol is a reference standard. Somebody developed a method for measuring alcohol and that you will apply to the fermentation. Yeah. And then you are sure. So, so basically is PCR test, when they say we are testing it, they are actually saying we have a broth of something. Mm. We have no idea what is in there. Mm. So the PCR test by itself is very deceiving. There's no test right now which can measure the virus mm. okay so now so this is the way they are explaining it but in reality how it should have happened in science and this is what i'm going to spend a little time in here to explain i would take the blood sample or nasal sample you know the mucus or something but consider it's a small amount, for example, or a more complicated. Mm. Let's, if I would have been given a, uh, assignment in this respect, especially considering the pandemic, what I would have done, I would have taken all these face masks and put it in the dumpster, the used one. Because if the virus is there and they assume that it's, protects the, uh, the face mask protects it. So all the virus will be in the face mask if they are there. <laughs> so put the dumpster at the end of the exit or entrance of exit of the shopping mall, for example, I was giving example, and put some water in there, soak them up. <laughs> okay. So basically I take all the masks, soaked in, uh, either soak in it in a flask, big giant flask or dumpster, or you have a separating funnel, you have water in there, let them soak it for a day, for example, hour, I don't know. I'm just giving the scenario how I would approach. Mm. And then you just take the water out. Right. And that should, in principle, should have your virus particles. Mm. Now, it is often said that virus particles are dead particles. You cannot culture it. You cannot. No, we are fine with them. We need the dead one as well. At least we have something to identify if there is something in there. Mm. Okay. And I gave the example of like, if you have a seed, for example, the, most of the time the seeds are dead. 
They don't do anything until you put them in the ground with all the in- ingredient and everything, and then they bloom. Yes. Then they grow, right? It's the same thing. But we do analyze and do classify, identify the seeds. Yes. Similarly, we should have the virus in there. We bring it in the water, and then from the water, we evaporate the water out. Either we boil it out or we freeze dry it. Whatever we do, it so that we can concentrate it. And then, uh, okay, and then we go to the next step, and this is what I call my chromatography. So you put that concentrated sample on top here, and then you add some water or media, in a very general basic term, what will happen is the component present in the concentrated sample will start moving depending on their chemical characteristics. Okay. And they will move in a different speeds. You have a blue one, a red one, and then you start collecting the samples. Right. Right? So you have it here, you have it here. This is how we do the separation. Right. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Now, just to give an example, people say these are very small particles. These are, but no, these are particles. We can separate compounds, which are much, much smaller than. <laughs> yeah, you're separating compounds that are small than viral particles. So they can't exactly. separate the virus particles. And too in that respect, <clears throat> I give you an example. In a very early time at my Health Canada, I was working with vitamin B6. Oh, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and I developed a method in which I able to separate six components of the vitamin B6. Not, it's not only vitamin B6, but its own individual components. And chemically, I can, I'm seeing it, showing it here. Uh, these peaks represent here. So, and these are extremely small size particles compared to DNA, RNA, proteins, viruses. So saying that we cannot see them, we can, and by the way, if I'm not mistaken, and this is a published article from my, um, from my study, very early in, the, in my work at Health Canada, if I'm not mistaken, these peaks represent about nanograms of per mil of the, each individual component. So this is a slide. So I'm separating all these. These are the, we call it vitamins. Vitamin means different, com, different types of vitamin B6. Mm-hmm. It's not vitamin B6. It's not one type. They're different types. And it is, I was measuring it in blood. Different type of blood, monkey blood, the human blood, the rat blood, all kind of stuff. But this is what I'm showing as a standard. So I purchase all these things. These are my reference standards. Run the chromatography. Okay. And then once I'm sure which I can separate, then I apply the same procedure to the actual blood samples. And then I say, okay, we have vitamin B6 or we don't have it, which component of and everything was done in quantitation, you know, exactly measure how much is in there. So basically, is this is what we should be looking at 
when somebody says that I have the virus. Right. Not a PCR test. We, we yeah. So so we we can have we can the other other ways rather than having uh, for example um, masks we can also have the you know the filter uh, vacuums for example at the entrance of the mall or very big gathering so suck the air out see if the uh, filters actually collect any virus and then we have the extraction procedure and then we go do chromatography. And then the next step come identification, you know, correctly. And then we will have the virus. Hmm. You understand me? Okay. Yep. Now, so just just yeah. to make sense. Yes, it makes sense. So okay. So let's let's go to the next picture, uh, and and at the end of the day. This is how the virus, isolated virus, should be should look like. Mm. You have a test tube, and you have this pure virus if it exists, okay, in here. But what virologists or what medical professionals are selling it is this. Mm. Remember the petri dish? The petri dish, yeah. Petri dish, yes. Yeah. This is what it is. The gunk. I call it gunk. And even in this gunk, we are not even sure the virus is there. Because as I said, this is basically the culture. Mm. And to find out if the virus is there, we have to have a method. Mm. Like a chromatography, like NMR, there are other, other ways of doing things, but I don't want to complicate things. But simply thing, we need separation step from here to here. Mm. And, and then we identify, and then we go further step. So, so collectively, if I summarize this aspect from the science perspective, there is no doubt, there should not be any doubt that nobody has isolated the virus. And there is no test for the virus, including PCR. When I say no, and I think you mentioned uh, like other tests, like antigen test, in antigen test as well, rather than the measure RNA, the measure proteins, right. spike protein. Hmm. And the same story can be repeated. Where is that protein? So if you want to measure the protein, even if you want to measure the um, RNA, you have to have a reference standard of that specific RNA and or protein. Mm -hmm. And we cannot have RNA standard. We cannot have RNA, uh, protein, antigen, spike protein, whatever you call it, until we have the pure isolated mm -hmm. virus. And once we have this pure isolated virus, we will, quote unquote, I'm using the word, we crush it, break it down and extract the RNA, extract the protein out of it. And then we develop the method. But because we don't have the virus, we cannot have the RNA either. 
we cannot have the spike protein either. So whatever results are coming out from so-called PCR test or antigen, they are just imaginary uh, outcomes. Mm. They have no relationship whatsoever with the viruses or proteins or RNAs. Okay. I don't want to go into any technicality detail about what is RNA, and thing, but just assume it's a molecule. Yeah, in so, order for them to say, here's the spike protein, they must have the thing that the spike protein came from in the first place, but they've never had the thing that's attached to the spike protein. So therefore, how do you test for the spike protein? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a non sequitur. So this is a confusion. So from the science perspective, from the testing perspective, we have to have a test and we don't have it. And the reason we don't have it is, and that also confirms also, that is why I wrote the article, which is quite popular, that virus doesn't exist because we don't have it. Hmm. Okay. And I can, you can search literature. I can give you how things are extracted you know, like how things are isolated. They are very, very standard, very, and routine, I should not say routine, but very common mm. a procedure and standard procedure is there, okay? So the virus is not there. The test is not there. Mm. Now, obviously the question comes afterwards. So what is this vaccine is? and how they develop the vaccine when the virus is not there. Uh, <clears throat> that's really bizarre. I mean, you can't develop it. Hmm. As simple yes. as it is. How do you know what you're trying to protect against if you don't exactly. have Exactly. And show that exactly. it causes disease. So in principle, they have some chemical compound. They give it to the people and they assume it's a vaccine and they assume it's a, a cure, but not. Because to have the study the ex, uh, efficacy of vaccines or even safety, you have to have the virus somehow to give it to the human or to animals or whosoever, but we don't have it. So the, all the claim that vaccine <clears throat> has been tested for efficacy, they're all false, scientifically speaking. Mm -hmm. Nobody has done that. So what they did actually, and it's very clear to, to anybody, but the thing is, is that's what they're trying to, uh, what they actually say in a way, which is not, people are not getting it right, is, you know, they tested the vaccine efficacy in healthy human subjects. Yes. Yeah, they didn't right? test it in sick people. Yeah. How how could you test the efficacy against a thing when it is not there? Means the healthy people are supposed to not have those, right? That's right. So how can you how can you do <laughs> the testing? They can't. You can't do it. It no. is absolutely wrong or lie, right? So how they did it is actually they dose the healthy people, okay? With the placebo and with supposedly 
the vaccine. Okay? And Meyer, the PCR test. So now, if the PCR test comes negative with the treated group, they assume vaccines are efficacious and working. Right. For example, if you test the subject with the PCR test after vaccination and there is zero PCR positive, but in unvaccinated, if the test comes positive, it means efficacy of vaccine is 100%. Hmm. That's how they calculate relative. <clears throat> yeah, and it's interesting that there's no experiment that I've seen where they've had like even animals where they've had like a control group where they've just given them nothing and exposed them to a pure virus and then had a, a another group where they've given the animal the vaccine and then exposed the animal to the the virus is, the, I, i've never all, seen anything like that no there's there can't be there can't be because there's no virus yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and, and, and the thing is this basically is efficacy is means PCR positive or negative. Mm. It's a testing pandemic. And as I mentioned to you, PCR doesn't tell you anything about the virus either. Mm. So it's all, probably you can use uh, a better word about that. Smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Okay. And this is actually, I took it uh, uh, from an article I wrote about how they evaluated, how the FDA expert advisory committee evaluated um, the efficacy of the Pfizer vaccine. And I, in that one, this is from the Pfizer documentation, which they submitted. Based on this, so what they found, they analyzed 20,000 subjects in each group, placebo and vaccine tested healthy subject, mind you, okay? And in vaccinated group, they only find eight positive, right. PCR positive. And unvaccinated, 162. Hmm. Okay? So they are saying because there's a less infection. Now, I don't know why they use the word infection in there because no, but it's only PCR positive. People were still pretty healthy. There was, so, so their assumption is if they would not have given the vaccine, both group would have 162 positives. Mm. It's an assumption. Okay? So it means nine, 154 got cured by the vaccine, so 164 out of uh, 154 out of 162 becomes 95%. So that's how they come up with efficacy of the Pfizer mRNA vaccine efficacy, 95%. Because when you hear that, that figure of 95%, you assume that there's been lots of scientific experiments done 
where they've exposed healthy hosts to a virus and they vaccinated them and seen 95% of the time they don't get infected. But they did, by the sounds of what you're saying here, nothing like that. Nothing like And And I, I really encourage people, this is from my uh, link in, from my website. This is the article I wrote exactly like that. The general public assumed that out of, if they studied 20,000 approximately volunteers in vaccine group, for example, so probably 19,000 got cured. Yeah, exactly. Without without being vaccinated, yeah. (laughs) Nothing is of that sort. No, no, because they were not sick people to start Mm. with. The subjects were healthy and they were never given the vaccine uh, virus, okay? But they have given the vaccine, mRNA vaccine, and PCR result gives us these values. Do you think also that to be like truly scientific, that you then have to do a validation study or an investigatory study to make sure that what's in the vaccine isn't potentially impacting the PCR test? Because there may be something in that vaccine that messes around with the PCR test. So they'd have to do validation studies on that too, right? Wouldn't they? Like, how do you know what you're injecting? The question is coming from, I'm not sure. It could be possible that something is in the vaccine itself. This could be, but my view is it's not, we we can't even go there. The test itself is giving you the random readings, you know? So basically somebody asked me before, when they claim the efficacy of vaccine is reducing, what does it mean? It only means that this number is somehow increasing. So they are getting more positive uh, with the vaccination people, which is basically, uh, yeah. So basically if if I do a study today, for example, and I get 162 here, it means efficacy is relative efficacy is zero. Exactly, yes. Yeah, so so basically it's to me, because the PCR test was never been validated, <clears throat> we do not know how random that res- those results are. So we can always have, you know, less variability, oh, sorry, a more positive, less negative, it's just random. And basically, is if you do more tests, you will have more uh, positive or negative. And that's what is happening for the whole last year. Okay, the wave is coming, wave is going, and numbers are increasing, number, nothing of this sort. It's basically, is just imagination, illusion is happening. So the virus is not there. <clears throat> Test is not there. Mm. And now the vaccine is even not there. Mm. There is something mm. chemical. They just And I don't know how really they can do it. Uh, sort of thing, right? But so this is basically in a very short uh, synopsis of what uh, and I don't want to drag it, but before I conclude, uh, there was a question asked. People are concerned about 
the gene therapy versus mRNA. Mm. So how would you differentiate? So let me try to explain that in a very quick way and short way. You see that, right? I do see it, yes. Okay. So explaining that, I, I usually use the word marketing <clears throat> mm-hmm. of vaccine. Here's your vaccine. And in a vaccine, they say there is an mRNA vaccine. Simple term, just assume this is a chemical compound, mRNA. Okay? They take that thing and they inject to the people. Okay. Mm. Now, when they inject to the people or subject, now they assume or they say that this mRNA use the body machinery or body process to create a protein. These are little proteins. Okay. This protein, when it comes into the blood of the body, the body immune system triggers. And that body assume all this, this white thing, they call it antibodies. So these are the antibodies. So this mRNA produces this protein, and this protein is something similar to the spike protein of the virus I showed you in the video. When the body sees those spike protein, they produce these antibodies and they remember them. Mm. And then in future, when a virus comes, in future, these antibodies kill that virus. Right? right? Makes sense in theory. <laughs> in theory, yes. But the question is, how do they come up with all these narratives? Mm. Because if I would, as a scientist, I would have not gone through this route, I would have prepared these proteins outside somewhere. Right. From rat, from blood or somewhere. And when I'm sure, because now I have to first know what proteins, spike proteins are. We, we don't know about that. Mm. But theoretically, just assume we know something about protein. We we could have harvested those protein in some cultural media, purify them, and then inject them. Mm-hmm. Once we inject them, at least we can, some speculation here on this part only. Yes. That at least this is working. But we don't have those proteins. Mm-hmm. And somehow they say, oh no, there's no need for it. We know everything. And we have done all the studies and they are going, I have no idea. Scientifically, there's no basis of these things to work. Okay? Now, and this is, they call it modern technology, mRNA, but this is in their word, modern This is pure and simple chemistry, synthesizing compounds. And then put it in the body, and then it goes there, and it hopefully they produce whatever they are thinking to produce. So it's all imagination. It's, it's, it's really, there's no scientific data uh, to support all these things. But this is how they're saying it. 
So basically is that vaccine produces the spike protein analog or something similar, but we don't know about the spike protein. We never isolated a spike protein. They just simulated from the structure, just like RNA, okay? So this is the RNA, mRNA technology. But the gene therapy is actually you take actual DNA of the body and put a little patch in there, replace it. Again, I don't want to go into details of those things, but the thing is, is if your DNA has some defect, so we supposedly patch it with a normal one, or we, if we know that some alteration might enhance the capability, mm. we put a little patch in there. So yes. that is DNA, uh, gene therapy, yes. okay? But if you want my personal experience, <clears throat> view, I should say, I am not really very comfortable saying this is really, they know that this is happening because considering what I, if they cannot even isolate a simple or widespread virus, all these things becomes to me very weak to accept. Yes, I I agree. If you don't have the, the thing that is the basis of everything else, then the rest of the story falls apart. You need the virus. Yeah. Without yeah. that, everything else holds no water. It's uh, exactly. a fallacious <clears throat> argument. So now people are saying that because it is almost near the gene therapy because we have an RNA, it can damage DNA as well. There's a possibility. There is a very good possibility, but I don't know. Nobody knows because we don't, we haven't studied anything about that. Okay. And once, now, if you are putting this RNA in the body, this is just the unnatural, non-physiological chemical compound. You can expect that the body will not like it. That's where your natural path is coming into. Mm-hmm. That's basically the theory is. So, so if you want to heal the body, <clears throat> you must know what is the problem with the body. And then you replace with that deficiency. You could deficient in vitamin D, put some vitamin D there. If you think uh, there's a deficiency of iron, put some iron in there. Mm-hmm. If you, but if you start replacing iron with aluminium <clears throat> or some other weird chemical mm. and expect you will be healthier, it's just not going to work because body is has its own requirements. Yes. I give people example that if middle of the road in somewhere deserted area, if your car breaks down and you find the oil leaked out and there's a crack in the engine, what do you do if you don't have any help around? Luckily in the back of your trunk or you have coconut oil in there. So what you do is put a little tape on the engine, put a coconut oil in there, 
it's quite possible your engine might start and take you to the next stop. But once you get there, you have to get it fixed to its natural or specific requirements. But if you start saying, look, we don't need any more motor oil anymore. We can use coconut oil. <laughs> That's what I, I say that this is what, when you have RNA in there, God knows what it can do. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Body has to kick this thing out. It can damage DNA. I think so. Suspect. Mm-hmm. We can suspect. So, but unfortunately, nobody has studied those toxicology studies. Nobody has done that. And they just said when they approved it, they said, okay, we are doing it and we'll complete it in 2023. But very good indication of this is that from the worrying point of view is uh, I hope I'm assuming you might be aware of this. Uh, the <clears throat> FDA or CDC uh, that you know vaccine adverse event reporting system wears. Mm, yes, I have heard of this. Yeah, and I just copied it on May the, uh, up to date up to May the twentieth. Right. You see here the side effects we are observing. That's. <laughs> 28,000. Huge. Life-threatening, 31,000. Permanent disability, 52,000. And people are saying that this reporting is not even representing 10% what is being observed. So, such a high level of side effects to me feels like it's really hitting some basic structure of your life. Right. You know, I don't know, DNA, other RNA, or mm. so it really worries me a lot. It really worries me a lot. So, so I think we have to be very, very careful. And the easiest way to address this issue is somehow somebody has to evaluate it critically that why you are giving the vaccine to start with when you haven't shown there's a virus and when you have shown the uh, testing is uh, testing is valid so that story will so i think i pretty much summarize what I wanted to say. Uh, uh, yeah, I covered whatever I wanted to say and hope this uh, contribute or uh, answers some questions, queries in your mind and your audience. And if they have questions, certainly I'm always available through my web posting, through my contact, and and I'm leave it now. Floor is free. Absolutely. And yeah, I'll share your uh, blog in the show notes Please. as well for people to have a look at. Um, just as you were going, and I appreciate you taking the time to explain all of that. And as I was looking through some of these slides, I was thinking that 
you're a scientist and you can see that there's big gaps in the science and there's big questions that haven't been answered yet. So obviously other scientists are seeing these omissions and, and these oversights as well. Um, but they're not saying anything or do you think that they don't see any of the issues here? <clears throat> Actually, my view is the, most of the literature or most of the discussion which is happening is from uh, two, two different, very visible group of people. <clears throat> One is the medicine, mostly trained physician, for example. Mm. And the other one is mostly on the biology side. Okay. So they are actually trying to say this thing, but they have difficulty in really explaining the, the root cause of it. Mm. So they are, they are questioning basically like Dr. Andy Kaufman, for example, he is questioning because he, he is saying that uh, mm, the virus is not there. He, he's he's uh, saying it very openly. And some other people like uh, uh, <clears throat> Tom Coleman. And, but the thing is, is, the question was extremely valid that if, if the virus, if these people are saying that, then, but the, the refute, they were not refutable. They could not refute the, uh, their argument, how to refute it. Mm. But the, the refute, uh, one can challenge their thinking only in my view, through the chemistry science. Right. So we need actually somehow educate more people on the chemistry or the basic science aspect that the question, because they are saying it, they mean uh, virologists and physicists, that look, we have been doing it for so long. Mm. It has to be right. <laughs> this is how, and that is why they always refer back to peer review. Mm. Peer review means people of the same mindset. So they, they, they are saying that, and there are few, I, I, I should, uh, there are vast majority of the people are basing it on the, as I was saying to you uh, in the very beginning, that I have very strong and very disturbing discussion on many, very high ranking medical expert on internet and LinkedIn. And their view was, what are you saying? It's all well established well-established that this is how we do it and this is how we get the virus. Mm. So somebody outsider, which I call the real reviewers, <laughs> not peer reviewers, but critical reviewers mm. should come into it like person like myself, which yes. are away from the mainstream thinking. Mm. Okay. Uh, so so yes, there are um, other views. There are different views, but in my mind is not able to convince very well because I don't have to do any study like uh, <clears throat> some people has done 
to prove it wrong. I don't have to study. I, I what I'm saying is that look, uh, I give people the example like I am a thermometer manufacturer. Okay, I don't have to know uh, people's uh, medical science. I don't have to know. All I'm saying is the thermometer you are using is invalid. Mm. And that is my expertise is in thermometer, which is a tester, tester of a temperature. Because I work only on the temperature side, or thermometer side. I know how it is manufactured, how it is validated, how is it standardized. And I say, look, if you are going to use this thermometer, which you are developing yourself, half the population will have fever. <laughs> because the thermometer is not right. And this is where uh, I think the issue is. So people uh, now, um, people should start focusing more on, on the side that we should go a third party review. Like, like for yeah. example, uh, I tell to the people that like, when I want to buy a car, I don't go to the manufacturer to tell me how good <laughs> the car is. Yes or there are subsidiaries, you know. I go to a book which reviews the car mm -hmm. and the reviewer doesn't have to know how the cars are manufactured. Yes. What is the quality? All I want to know is the claim they are making, whether they fulfill or not. Mm -hmm. Is it going to drive that speed? Is it comfortable as a user? Same thing, I think people should allow the authority should allow general public to be heard. That look, if you are saying the virus is there, where is the virus? But right now, they go back to the peer review. And the peer said, look, there's a virus. This is how we have been doing it. They're reviewing themselves. <laughs> so reviewing even if they are, techniques, yeah. Yeah, even if they are in their own, objecting it, it is very difficult for them to object very convincingly mm. because it's a mindset, right? That's but right. so what was the thought? Yeah, so we need uh, this thing and believe it or not, I, I, I didn't even touch, as I said, my sort of previous life kind of thing with pharmaceutical area, for example, mm. it's, it's in a mess. Right. They claim that they have FDA, for example, and I have written a lot about it, that FDA monitors quality, safety, efficacy, quality of product. Whatever their guidelines, whatever their standards, they say all based on science, but believe it or not, Daniel, nobody even knows what the quality product means. Hmm. If you go, I'm not talking about complicated stuff. This is relatively, even if you go to the store, pharmacy, and ask someone, I am buying this Tylenol, is it a quality product? They will say yes. But why is it? How do you establish that? The answer will be FDA approved it. Right. So that's why it is a quality product. There is no test, there's no de definition of a quality product available right now. Hmm. 
So, but sure enough, they go back to the peers. And the peers will say, I have some slides on my web blog, little cartoon version of it. All kind of guidelines are coming. But no. They're all, they're judging them. So your answer to the question is, people who are objecting, like Dr. Malone, for example, the, but Dr. Malone is against the vaccine, if, if I remember correctly. Mm. Uh, but not the virus, because no. he's... So I hope that somehow this view has to be promoted or explained that the, some right question should be asked from an outsider. Uh, like, for example, as I, I think I'm repeating myself, like a tester, mm. you have to bring somebody who, who has done the testing. Yeah. And, and someone who's independent and someone who can look at it with non or no bias, with a fresh set of eyes, a fresh perspective, someone who's not in up to their eyeballs already in that field, who assumes that everything that is in there is already validated and true and correct. Um, and I don't know about you, but when all of this, I started hearing all this stuff about they haven't isolated the virus or viruses in general. I just thought, well, I'm going to go to the original study. I'm going to go to the original paper where they first isolated a virus and I'm going to look at the methodology. And when I read the methodology, I realized they weren't isolating anything. So for me as an outsider, I could look at that and immediately see, oh, there's a problem here. But if I was a virologist, I'd look at that and go, oh, there's no problems. That's the way we do it. <laughs> it's like, exactly. Mm. exactly. Okay. And, and this is what, uh, I mean, that's what I was saying. And we were talking about that. There are so many ways of explaining things. Like when I start <clears throat> um, this discussion on LinkedIn, for example, I was talking to someone and I said, where should I get the virus? And the answer was, you cannot get it because you do not have BSL level three or four lab, which means biosafety laboratory level four, because Nobody is going to sell you that. And I said, this is, this is not the question I'm asking. It's like, I want to know who is selling Boeing 747. You are telling me I don't have a garage or airport, so I can't tell you that. No, no. <laughs> I am not buying that. I'm not, uh, I don't need to have a garage in my home to have a 747. I am asking who is selling it. Yes. So, but their mindset is that, okay, you have to have a safety level three or four lab. You have to have a well-trained and then you, and then you, this is how you would be doing it or this is how you will be evaluating it and you get the virus. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting when you, when you realize that everything they claim to be science and scientific is actually very far from science itself because there's a very particular methodology that one must fulfill to say that something is truly scientific. And when you look at some of these things, not just with virology, but other areas, 
a lot of what they're saying, and you mentioned this in regards to pharmacology or, or pharmaceutical medicine, is that the science just isn't there. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are under the assumption that evidence-based medicine is completely 100% scientifically validated. And when you look, I think there's some pretty damning evidence out there to suggest that the percentage of all things in health in general, so not just one particular field of medicine, but in health in general, it's, I don't want to put percentages on here, but far less than 50% of everything that's done is actually validated with a scientific experiment or a true scientific experiment. And yet we class uh, all this stuff as science. It's, it's really quite absurd. I, I think you are, you are conservative here, 50%. <laughs> I'm, I'm going even behind. How many percent would you say? How much percentage? Yeah, of, of everything that we do from like a pharmaceutical medical perspective is actually based on real science. Uh, and I, I sorry for answering you slightly differently, you use the word evidence-based, hmm. right? Why would they use the word evidence-based and not the science-based? <laughs> yeah, because they realize themselves that things are not in many, many cases, in their view, are not scientific. Wow. So, so they, they basically they they they, um, they develop this terminology evidence based. Hmm. So, so ba basically is that um, most of the time, uh, like for example, you know, when in the beginning, um, um, this in the beginning means uh, in two thousand. 2020, no, uh, the vaccine started in 2021, right? 2021. Yeah, 2020. 2020. So, yeah. so when they start seeing that it is not working, it's not as efficient, so they say, okay, it will avoid or reduce the hospitalization and the death. And this is because probably they got some numbers from the hospitals. So that is not a scientific study. Not you can't have that. You have to have some control, some valid uh, experimentation, but that conclusion becomes an evidence-based science. Right. You know what I mean? I see what you're saying. So that is considered as, so, so I, I hope uh, I'm direct enough, but not harsh enough to be, no, that when you hear the word evidence-based, when you hear the word medical science based, uh, when you hear the word peer review based, start thinking about it that something is not right there. Mm. Otherwise, there is no need for saying all these things. Simple fact is science is not there. And I'm really like, I sort of look at this whole situation and we don't even know how things like acetaminophen or paracetamol work. We have no idea how it works yet. They want to turn around and say, Oh, well, we know exactly how this experimental gene therapy that we're going to inject into every single human being. We know exactly how it works and it's completely safe and effective. And um, I don't know, you've done that. You've been in that field. Like, do we know how basic drugs like paracetamol actually work? Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. <laughs> We, we, we can never, and that is actually, that's where the evidence base 
is basically is uh, you take acetaminophen or somebody take it. And, and I wrote an article actually on my blog, how the clinical trials are worked mm-hmm. or conducted. So clinical trial is basically is promoted as a scientific, but in reality, they are all observational. Right. So, yeah. So basically- Even a double blind, randomized, controlled trial. All of them. All, all of observational. them. Yeah. They're all observation. Basically, it's exactly like what, as a naturopath, you, you would have done that, uh, but you might not have done the control, but you have a long history of observation yeah. that if somebody is taking uh, omega-3, for example, uh, oil, they might feel healthier, for example, mm-hmm. but that's observational. Yeah. The same thing is happening in allopathy as well, but they somehow give a name of uh, the science and just show very big laboratory stu- uh, infrastructure in there that like we are doing wires, we are doing all these, but no, because we, 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 maybe we'll talk some other time about a simple clinical study evaluating genetics cool. is not at all scientific. Yeah, I've been scratching my head about the whole genetics thing as well. And I'd really be interested. We'll have to get you back. And I'd love to hear your perspective on genetics. Genetic, in fact, that's what I think we should start questioning. Because genetic drug development is much simpler to understand and much easier to see the problem of these all clinical trials and the weaknesses of those and things like that. Okay, so, uh, but I am highlighting that problem with genetic drug, problem with meth validation, problem with quality. But the thing is, is it, it doesn't go uh, take off the ground because I'm like uh, from the peers, you know, from all the medical experts, they, they come back. But somehow this COVID thing actually blew up because if they would not have the mandates, we would, the vaccine would have been successful. Yeah. It is, it is the mandate which created the whole, whole thing. And now people are um, side effects and all those internet and everything. Otherwise, you know, they are saying we have so much experience in developing. <laughs> and it's a good question you ask. And I, I always say, I always use the word when I explain the problem with clinical trials, Advil, Acetaminophen, hmm. you know, ibupro, uh, uh, Tylenol and Advil, you know, we, they are basically based on all observational. Right. And I, I, can, I, can, I can say, yes, uh, when I take a Tylenol, you know, I, it, 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 I feel better. But thank God, I stop after two, three doses. Hmm. Yeah, you know, more than that, yeah. Because after that, God knows what the body is treating, uh, doing with the tylenol and what it we might end up with. Exactly. So, a- so no, we we scientifically a, a clinical trial is a very very fancy name of observational, mm. and I think we are going a little longer. So mm, what I'm sorry. saying is just <laughs> cut it off here. Yeah. Cut, sure, yeah. cut the delete that. Is I was saying clinical trial 
I, I try to explain to people, clinical trial is like a marketing survey. Like if, for example, McDonald wants to bring a new type of burger, what they will do is they will start serving people free burgers, and then they will start collecting their feedback. Hmm. And based on their feedback, obviously they will use all kinds of statistical analysis and all those things, and they'll say, no, this burger will not fly, this will fly because most of the people like it. Hmm. What is likeness? We don't know, but most of the people like it. <laughs> so that is actually observational study. And perfectly right, I have no problem with that one. But that's the observation. You, you can start selling your special kind of burger or Coke or whatever you want to say, but don't call it as a scientifically evaluated study. It's the same thing here that we do clinical trial in medical area. We give the drug with some observed or preconceived idea that this might do good for us. And then we start giving uh, dosing people and then we say, oh yeah, it worked. It worked mean whatever we were thinking, it didn't work, but we don't know what happen to the body mm. yeah to be because and i say repeatedly to people that if you want to know what happened to the body there is no alternate other than to study chemistry mm. because that's where you can say the dna rna protein carbohydrate vitamins they're all chemical compounds and chemical reactions. Hmm. So if you, but most of the time people say, keep the chemistry, your basic stuff out. That is nothing to do. We are dealing with, you know, emergencies and we are perfectly right. I mean, I don't even want to go to the hospital to be honest with you. Why should I go there? All I'm saying is you gave me the result of a tester, hmm. of a test. I'm saying, it doesn't make sense hmm. from the chemistry process. So, and, and this uh, COVID thing just blew up the whole thing. Yeah, and I'm glad in the sense, it's, it, it, is, it is at a very high cost actually, uh, financial resources and human tragedy, right? But unfortunately, in my view, this has to happen. So yeah. I hope we can still stop it here. Um, but I'm not sure yet. And this is all a journey. This is all a learning experience for us all. And we can only do our best. We can only do what we think we're capable of doing and to look back with no regrets. So whether or not what we do has any impact on the outcome of, of all what's going on, um, to me, it doesn't really matter that much. It's just that I know in my heart that we tried and we tried to put the, the information out there for people to this get is, access. To. This is exactly what I am and my family, my friends all say, say, what are you doing? Nobody's listening to you. Mm. You don't make any money out of it. What is, what is in for you? And I said, I don't know myself either. All I'm saying is it is not right. Mm. It is not right. I mean, mm, and I just wanted to tell my view uh, and 
whether people accept it or not. I mean, I am pretty late stage in my life right now, but uh, I hope people will remember me with some good mm. that I contributed. Uh, but I hope I help it here as well today, and um, hopefully you will get good uh, feedback on your blog as well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak with me, Dr. Qureshi. And I'll continue following along with your blog and uh, I'll put your blog in the show notes and it's the bioanalytics website. Is that the one? Yeah. That you bio, yeah bioanalytics with the X in the end rather than S short com. Yeah. And, um, and I noticed there was also a website on your slides as well. Is that your yeah. website? Uh, the uh, it's called, uh, there are two more actually. One is drug dissolution testing, right. which I originally started. Uh, and it is about the pharmaceutical area. Okay. Right. okay. But unfortunately what happened is that it got corrupted for, for whatever reason, I don't know. Hmm. And I could not uh, recover that. Right. So that's why I started uh, bioanalytics. So I'm just slowly transferring the old content to the new site. Right. And then there is another one, which I started as a pharmacomechanics. You, so you had three websites, but now just one, just the bioanalytics website. Yeah. Okay. So basically is a, um, I started with the drug dissolution testing yep. uh, first. Okay. And then it got corrupted. So I, I have this bioanalytics. It's like a blog. I wrote it. Hmm. But the other one is the uh, pharmacomechanics, which I want to do like a, like a little small business. If somebody wants to ask me some consultancy, like, like for example, I love to teach uh, chromatography to the people like drug dissolution testing because a uh, lot of people are really not do not know exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. And they are just following exactly what is happening in COVID, the protocols, mm -hmm. okay? But somehow um, it is not very successful yet because I am giving the science aspect, but most of the time industry works based on compliance, <laughs> Yeah. okay? So they say, okay, because what you are saying in my, that's a general view, what I'm teaching, what I am telling the consultants is perfectly right, make absolute sense, but somehow it's not complying and we don't get approval for our products without compliance. Mm -hmm. So we have to do with the compliance. So, so basically uh, like just a couple of days ago, somebody said to me that you are not writing that much about the solution. I said, I, I'm not writing it because I got busy here with the COVID. Mm. The other thing is that uh, uh, many people are actually asking me about the COVID because it's a hot topic right now. But the solution is basically is uh, because I is what I'm telling is uh, not in compliance. So unfortunately, you are spending millions and millions of dollars, maybe some some later time you will I explain on the dissolution uh, aspect as well. You know, people are spending millions, industry is spending millions and millions on doing the dissolution testing mm. according to the compliance requirement. Right. 
And it is exactly like PCR test. It fails randomly. So they do the study again. They do the study again. And I, and I did all the research uh, and I said, this is the problem. This is a solution. We can do that. But still, it's not going through yet. Because it's not in the compliance book. Yeah. And it probably takes so, a long so, time for the science to get through to the, the compliance area. Decades, probably. Yeah. But I, I, at, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we could, we could talk for a while, I think, you and I. Um, Dr. Qureshi, thank you so much for coming and speaking to me. I really appreciate your time and your expertise. And I like the analogies that you used. You really simplified a very complex topic and simplified it um, for the general public to understand what you were saying. So I, I thank you for taking that time. Oh, thank you very much. No, it's, it's a pleasure talking to you and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll do a, a, a one or more uh, as well because there are quite few burning because I, I, I expect uh, there will be thunder after this COVID thing. It will not go away without without really uh, very, very big thunders. I mean, it's, it's going to be very serious. Yeah, at least I think. So thank you very much once again and talk to you later. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. The ideas discussed on this podcast do not replace the advice of your primary healthcare professional. If you have any questions or comments, head on over to humanly.com forward slash podcast and join the discussion. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Until next time.